Last week, we talked about the secrets of taking the right action. This week, we're discussing the power of compounding effort and patience. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots in the for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm pumped. Today, we're talking about something that is super important for any kind of uh, organization. And uh, I think a lot of people miss this and uh, assume that there are other things at play when really this is kind of the main trick behind any successful organization. Lisa, are you excited? Always. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we're talking about the power of compounding effort or uh, letting giving things time to grow and actually having the patience to figure out what is going to work and letting it work for a while to actually be able to see if it's working or not. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when we talk to organizational leaders, um, when they do have patience, it might be in a season where it seems like things just aren't working. And sometimes I think patience is given as the excuse to just kind of throw in the towel for a short amount of time. Hmm. Like, oh, we just need to have patience. Um, Rather than thinking about patience as as something that is proactive, like patience as a choice from the very beginning uh, versus something that we might jump to when we just don't know what else to do. Yeah, just like we put up with a problem rather than saying, hey, we know that in the long term this is going to pay off. Mm -hmm. So it's worth doing a lot, doing it consistently and doing it over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. I've learned a bit about this just from studying different organizations and also YouTube channels that... uh, seem to just explode overnight uh some do some some Mm -hmm. youtube channels especially will just like literally just show up out of nowhere and explode uh in a really really good way but the ones that didn't have that time to actually grow healthily and they just explode can also completely drop within just like just like one wrong thing said or, you know, the, the the audience that came in to watch and engage and the organizations where people came and globbed on real fast without the structures in place and the consistency to kind of build the trust over time without those things in place. All of a sudden, they're just gone in a month. Mm-hmm. It's like, what happened? And I think a big piece of that is that there wasn't that consistent compound effort that actually grew them to where they were. Mm -hmm. And we see this too when it comes to organizations where when we're talking with leaders, sometimes we'll see um, the beginning of an idea, the beginning of what the vision could be, um, some action that seems like it might be the right action, but it might not be the right action. And either there's this crazy intense push and Sometimes it works really quickly, but then it kind of falls off. And and maybe there wasn't the patience to stay in the moment and really figure out what about this worked rather than just assuming what worked. Um, Mm. Or sometimes there's not that long term patience where you actually find what the right action is. And then you just keep doing it and 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 doing it it until you wonder if it's working to really see what the fruit of that could be. Um, I know we were chatting about this a little bit earlier today, and I've seen this from... 
organizations that are not only pretty well established, uh, maybe they've been going for a long time and they get going on like a quick, we're going to do this for two weeks and then they kind of stop because they're not seeing the immediate results that they're looking for. But sometimes it goes all the way back to the beginning of an organization when someone has an idea for a cause that they want to help and they kind of run into it without really allowing the idea to develop, without really getting the outside input and without taking the time to make sure that the foundation of their idea and their dream and of what they're trying to do is really, really solid. Mm. And I don't know, I think sometimes... We just forget to take that time to make sure that something is rooted really, really deeply, not just in the people that we're trying to lead, but in ourselves. Um, And that's not a fun part of the process. It's not (laughs) fun to do that preparation um, before we really start taking the action that we're looking to take. And I think, too, that the part of the preparation isn't just planning before you start. It really is getting that feedback and actually putting things out there, starting the cause, doing a few things, seeing what's working, seeing what's not working over time. Um, instead of just like, okay, I did all this strategy, all this planning, and now I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. And Because you might find after just a week of doing it that all your planning was in vain. There's like not really any, <laughs> there, there isn't any fruit from this. This isn't necessarily what... Uh, what's needed in the world mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And this is something that I tend to fall into. I'll be mm. very honest about this. I am someone who likes to research. I like to plan. I like to know things are going to work 100% before I ever start doing anything. And being married to Ted for a long period of time has taught me <laughs> that is not the most beneficial way to do things. There are times where you need to you know, do the research and really make sure that you're taking the right next steps and be sure about it. But at the same time, a lot of times you don't even know what the right next step are until you've taken the first step. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been times that I spent way too long trying to research and plan, and then I would execute on one thing and realize I had gone in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Like I had just chosen the wrong thing versus if I would just start at the beginning and taken a single step and realized, yes, this is the general right direction, done a little bit more homework, gotten some more people involved, gotten some feedback. And this is where the measurable impact really comes into play to be able to see what's growing and what's working, then continuing steps in that direction. I feel like part of the gathering data is in taking the steps and seeing if the steps are working, Hmm. which is kind of a weird thought, because for me, I'm it's taken me a long time to get to this place where I'm willing to have that imperfect action where you tend to jump into things a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the risk that you run in that scenario is a couple things. One, uh, you might never even start. Mm-hmm. And secondarily, you might run the risk of doing a lot of planning that ends up being a wasted time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on my side of the spectrum, you can run a few risks as well of just ending up scattershot, starting way too many things, not actually focusing and really drilling down into one thing that works well. And this is why we talked about measurable impact just a second ago. Measuring what you're doing and being able to show the results isn't just a means to an end. It's not just about building trust of the people who are following you, who are engaging with your organization, but it's also essential that you take that data and you make decisions based on it, right? If you do three different uh, fundraising events and then you know that wow this one worked you should probably do more like that rather than like the other ones right Mm -hmm. or if you are really trying to end hunger in a certain uh place in the world 
there are going to be things that you do that work really, really well. And there are going to be things that you do that don't work well. And measuring the impact isn't just about being able to show people, these are how many meals we've served, but it's more about showing, hey, we found a way to really make a big impact. This is going to make your donations go a lot further now that we're going down this track. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the 80-20 rule, which says that 80% of your results come from 20% of your actions. And as a leader within an organization, you need to be able to look at all the different things that you're doing and figure out which things are really causing the massive amount of results. Um, And this has to do with every part of your organization, but especially when it comes to whatever it is that you're trying to grow, whether it's the impact for the cause that you're trying to do, or maybe you're at a spot where you're like, we're doing as much as we can, but we don't have enough volunteers or we don't have enough funding or we don't have enough of whatever area it is. Like, let's just talk about getting volunteers. Maybe the way that you're looking at getting volunteers is you're putting all this effort into making phone calls, sending out emails, like um, just talking to random people and trying to recruit. Maybe you're doing all those things, but maybe one of the things that you're doing is going to current volunteers and just asking if they have friends or if they have connections. If you look at all those different avenues, there's probably one of them that is feeding your organization the most amount of volunteers. It doesn't mean completely disregard the other ways, but it really needs to become more of the focus and the attention so that you can get to that next level within your organization so that you can then continue spinning your flywheel and growing your impact. Yeah, one organization we were talking to recently said that they do a training one time a year, and it's one of their biggest uh, pushes for new volunteers. And this is where they get a lot of their new volunteers is this training one time a year. And Lisa and I were thinking, well, geez, if it's one time a year and it's your biggest thing, why aren't you doing this a few times a year? You know, mm-hmm. doing once a quarter or something to really bolster that volunteer base. It's clearly, there's something about you offering a training for what you're doing that is getting more people interested. Maybe there's a, a a perceived learning curve for some of the stuff that you're doing and people want to get involved, but that's the thing that's stopping them is like, I don't know how to do this well. And so really diving into what those things are and then being willing to actually have the patience to see if they grow. If an organization is doing a training one time a year and they suddenly bump it up and say, let's do it once a quarter after that first quarter, it might not seem like there's a whole lot of change because you've essentially, after that one event, gotten the same number of volunteers you would have if you did it once a year. It was one time, which means you have to do it a second time and see how that one goes and possibly a third time and see long term if it becomes more beneficial to your organization and really measure that impact versus what you were doing previously. But that takes patience. And I know sometimes as leaders, we like to just run at things, do the new thing and don't always enjoy saying, I'm going to start something in 12 months from now, see how it's going. (laughs) Um, Last (laughs) summer, there's this tree in our backyard and we started noticing like these weird lime looking fruits on it. We live in Minnesota, like limes don't grow in Minnesota, but they look just like limes. I'm like, what the heck is this? And I pulled one off the tree and I like cracked it open. There's like this weird, like membrane looking thing on the inside. I'm like, what the heck kind of thing is this? And I looked it up and I finally found it. It's a it's a walnut tree growing in our backyard. And uh, we, we called the previous owners because we're friends with them. And we said, hey, like, do you know there's a walnut tree in the backyard? They're like, what? A walnut tree? And I'm like, yeah, it's a walnut tree, like grown in the backyard. You didn't know? And they're like, no, we had we've never seen walnuts on that. And then I was like, well, we've lived in this house four years. I've never seen walnuts either. And that that was like, this house from from when they owned it, it's at, at least that tree is 20 years old. 
And I'm thinking to myself, geez, if someone was trying to grow walnuts and they they said, hey, you know what? If this tree isn't producing walnuts in five weeks or a year or even 10 years, chop it down, start over. All you're doing is going to be, you know, prolonging the time it takes to get walnuts to actually show up. And I think that a lot of organizations do that. They don't see fruit right away, although if they were able to look at and know um, what they're trying to accomplish and know what the beginning phases of that look like, they could go, hey, this is a walnut tree that is a year old. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is how it's, you know, how its leaves are supposed to be growing or whatever. I don't know much about trees, um, <laughs> as as can be attested by the fact that I thought I had limes growing in my backyard. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's so essential to know enough about what you're trying to build to be able to see the early signs of success. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that, I mean, if we're looking at that tree in the backyard, I don't know if it was intentionally planted. I don't know if it just kind of somehow ended up there. But the fact so is... it was eating walnuts one day and like one like happened to just, just fall, fall on the ground. Just fall and then trees start growing. <laughs> but let's say someone said, I'm intentionally planting a walnut tree. And a, a little bit later, they weren't... It wasn't bearing fruit. It, it hadn't grown enough. It wasn't doing the stuff. I think a lot of times as leaders, we look at what we initially planted. We don't give it time to mature. We think that we just lost our investment. And so we then go and start digging it up. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, if you're trying to grow something in a garden, you're never going to dig up all the seeds that you planted successfully. Hmm. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so sometimes there's that short term. It almost feels like a loss. And then we wonder, did I just lose some possible investment capital, Hmm. whether that's financial or time or energy or creativity, because we know it takes a while to come up. Well, at least it it takes me a little bit to come up with ideas. Well, it takes me a while to come up with good ideas. I can come up with lots of ideas. (laughs) It's just I have to like barrel through a whole bunch of bad ones. But sometimes that short term amount of loss makes us feel like, oh, my gosh, I need to feel like I can recoup that immediately because I don't like feeling the, the discomfort of maybe this won't work. And so we take the short term. Maybe I can regain this. Maybe I can dig it up. Maybe I can just get a little bit and feel a little bit better for this week. And we don't realize that we're sabotaging our ability to grow 12 months from now. Wow. And it's so hard when we see this in organizations because we've been through enough cycles just over the years when, you know, we were at a church when we were in our teens. We were at a college thing in college that was so (laughs) redundant. Um, Other ministry that we've done, helping other organizations. And I think it's just common for leaders to assume that the results should be instantaneous. And in the process of trying to get instantaneous results, we kill the thing that could be feeding us a year from now. Right. No, I think that that's huge because a lot of times we sacrifice the long term gains for a short term feel good result. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if we've really talked about J curves much on the. I don't think so on, on the podcast. But there's this concept, and Jesus talks about it in the Bible. If you're familiar with, he says like some thing in order for a seed to grow, it has to die first. It has to be buried. It has to actually look like it's dead for a while in order for it to be able to grow, and then it can produce lots and lots of fruit. But this is this is a principle that's true everywhere in life, right? Mm-hmm. There is going to be an initial investment of your money where you don't have it in your pockets. And then it grows over time into more. There's going to be an initial investment of your time or initial investment of a casting vision over and over and over again. And it's going to feel like you just wasted that time. But that's 
the starting phase of anything that's going to grow going forward. Yeah, if you think about it like a J, like that initial, it sweeps down first and then it goes up really, really high. Um, I think this happens when organizations, especially when they're trying to get other people on board, sometimes that initial J curve is just the resistance of the people within your organization to want to change. Mm-hmm. I, because we've seen it and we have a business thing that we've done where a change will happen and there's that initial no one really wants to do it. You get a lot of pushback. Eventually people kind of see how it might work and then they start to grab onto the idea and then you start to see the results. But you don't see the results until you've walked through the discomfort of people liking how things have been done for years and years and years. Yeah, even if they're not effective. And then uh, another thing that we see very often is a reverse J curve where there's an immediate like, hey, we can just do this quick thing to get a boost, but it ends up hurting your trust over time uh, with the people who are following you or paying attention or or whatever, and it ends up shooting down. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you think about like a salesperson, right, Who's, who's like, I just need to make this sale. And they push and they push and they push and they push and they finally convince somebody to buy. And now that person's got buyer's remorse. And guess what? They don't come back. So now you don't have a return customer five years from now where if you were less pushy in the beginning, it might you might not make as many immediate sales. But over time, you have these people that you have built trust with and they're going to come to you when they actually feel like they need that product. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing happens with organizations where it's like, hey, we need uh, X amount of volunteers for this weekend and we're going to push people so hard that they quit <laughs> in a week. Right. Well, that's a reverse J curve. You got this great number of volunteers for the weekend, but then all of a sudden your event's over and now they're like, I don't want to help out again for another year. Yeah, they don't <laughs> want to help out for another year. maybe they never even come back at all. <laughs> Or that's when the phone goes silent and they're like, I'm just not going to see this text because... Yeah, well, you get ghosted. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, you get ghosted. Um, another one that I was thinking about. Oh, I totally lost my train of thought. All right, you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I was just thinking about how can we pinpoint, you know, are we in a pattern of trying to do reverse J-curves or are we in a pattern of doing good J curves, right? Where things feel like they're going to die for a little bit in order to produce results. And I think that immediate feeling is probably one of the biggest uh, flags that you can look at, right? Is Does this feel like really good in the moment because you had one successful thing that you pushed really hard and you, you degraded some trust and you kind of tried to take shortcuts mm-hmm. in order to get this thing? Or... Are you saying, you know what, we're going to do this the right way. We're going to actually take our time to make sure we're building relationships correctly and and helping the people we're trying to help. Um, You know, lying, cheating, stealing. Those are reverse J-curve type behaviors. And so if you feel like you're lying, cheating and stealing to get something, uh, chances are you're in a reverse J-curve cycle. Yeah. You need to fix that immediately. Or if the people around you feel like you might be lying, cheating, or stealing. Yeah, even if you're not. Even if you're not. But if people, (laughs) if you're coming across that way, we can't always control people's perceptions, but there is a point where if the people around us get uh, icky feeling when we're talking to them about what it is that we're trying to do, we need to be, have enough awareness of their reactions to be able to pick up on that and think, Maybe I'm asking too much of this person right now. I got to shift the way that I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's 
really huge. (laughs) (laughs) So let's put this in the context of uh, something that a lot of our nonprofit leaders that are listening to this podcast are uh, dealing with. So one thing that I think of a lot um, when we're talking to nonprofit leaders is often nonprofits, you know, you do some sort of fundraising event, some sort of volunteer push, some sort of something over the course of a year. Typically, you might have an event. Let's say you do it twice a year, right? Let's say you have an event that's coming up in August. Um, I've heard a lot of nonprofit leaders say, oh, it's coming up in August, which means I can start in the end of July. I can start kind of toward the end of July spend three or four weeks planning for it, and then we'll do it, and it'll go just fine. Um, But what they don't necessarily realize is when you're trying to do something in a compressed amount of time, yes, pressure sometimes forces us as leaders to get more done and to get quicker results. However, sometimes those results come from cashing in too many chips with the people that we're trying to get to help us out with that event. So we're having to call in favors for are the people who have donated the most in the past, people who are already helping with the organization, people who are already investing in what it is that we're trying to do. And we basically have to ask them to increase their investment because we haven't given ourselves enough time to fully build up all of the different people and all the different systems and everything that we need for that event to really work. Where instead, if we said we have an event every single August, which means we're going to start in January because we have an event at some point in the spring, we're going to build into that event, use that event as a way to identify leaders and start planning ahead for the future event, and then give ourselves four or five, six months to really grow as an organization and grow so that we're getting the right people and grow so that we're getting the right system so that it's a healthy event that has brought energy into the organization versus sapping the people who are near us, um, that's a very different mindset going into an event. And as leaders, a lot of times we can pull off great events in four weeks if we need to. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's it's the risk that we run. I I saw this a lot working in music ministry stuff where uh, the musicians that could just show up and just do it would put things off to the last minute. A lot of times show up completely unprepared because they were used to being able to leverage the skill that they had as a musician to just get by. And I think leaders do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I have the ability to call up somebody and I can actually get them to come and help out. So we lean on that a little too much and we say we only need four weeks or we only need two months to be able to plan and get this event ready. Really what that ends up doing is it puts urgency on us as the leader and then we start taking shortcuts to get things done. Um, and really it's the, the long process of growing something and letting it mature that builds the healthiest organizations and the healthiest events, whether that's fundraising or volunteer pushes, or just trying to accomplish a big thing with the funds and the volunteers that you have amassed, right? Mm -hmm. Big projects take big planning, but not just planning. It's not just here's what's going to happen. It's thinking through. How are we going to do this in a way that builds the organization? Doesn't just build the goal that we're trying to reach, but builds the organization in the process. Because you can leverage those big events to build every area of your organization, not just the one thing that you're shooting for with a goal. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we firmly believe in. 
like one of our programs when we're working with clients is to help them put on a growth event and we give a year of coaching and it's not just meant to be uh, here we're going to help you put together a quick fix so that you can reach your next thing but it's like we understand what it takes to really build something long term that's not only sustainable but actually grows and gets your people in the place where they are growing too so that the organization's weight doesn't just fall on your shoulders and it's so hard when we see organizations that go for this quick fix um, do the reverse J curve. And we we look and we're like, man, yeah, you had a great event and it felt good for you in the moment, but you just lost a lot of leverage that you had simply because you didn't give yourself the time and the patience and the mindset to really allow it to grow and to mature into something that can stand without you. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, I think part of that is really having that mindset of the legacy needs to outlive us. And if the legacy is based on our ability to call in a quick favor, that's not something that can perpetuate if we weren't able to be there. (laughs) It's true. Like your event should eventually be at a place where let's say you have to be out of town, but your event is always the first weekend in August. That event should be able to build to a place where it can happen better without you than if you're there. And if you're not at a place where that's possible, then I think that you might need to consider looking at um, your patients when it comes to building up the systems and really building this with longevity in mind. Yep. The other uh, fallacy that we run into, we talked about this last week, but the tyranny of the urgent, if you give yourself a little bit of space and say, you know, this next event doesn't need to be the absolute biggest, best event ever. You can say, you know what, we're going to do this event to the best of our ability But it also, best of our ability means it's going to grow the entire organization as part of the process, which means it might not have the most flashbang, amazing advertisement stuff, and it might not have the best logo, and it might not have the absolute best creative whatever that you could do with it. It might not even have the best impact that it could have had, but you want to play the long game and you want to do this in a way that you're going to be able to continue doing this in 10, 15, 20 years. And you're going to want to do this and build this in a way that it can continue to live on after you're gone. That's Mm -hmm. the whole idea of legacy building. We don't want to just build. We're not event builders. We're legacy builders, right? (laughs) Think about this. If you right now pick out the five people closest to you within your organization, are you running things in a way where 10 years from now, they're still going to want to be on board with you? Hmm. Or is it every single time you have an event, they are the five key people that you lean on every single time and eventually they might get worn out. Like how, what is that looking like? And, and if you're using the same five people every single time, are you growing more people so that you can have more than five? Um, But really taking a look at that for yourself and really taking a look at that for your organization and understanding that it's so important to be growing Um, long term. And sometimes that means taking a short term ego hit. Um, Like Tudge said, you might not have the best of the best of the best of everything. um, But if you have something that's 85% quality going out compared to last time, but it was done by brand new volunteers and completely new people within your organization. And now they all have skin in the game as a result. I think that that's a that's a better result. Mm-hmm. That's a better end result, even though from the outside, it might not be the thing that people are like the people who know nothing about your organization go, oh, my gosh, that was awesome. But the people who are in your organization and who who are seeing a little bit more behind the scenes are going to go, wow, that was healthy. 
Mm-hmm. That was really good. That was healthy. And then you're becoming a people development leader, um, which is a whole different level of leadership. When you start developing the people around you, when people see that, people come to you and they think, man, if I'm part of that organization, I'm going to be developed as a leader too. And people are really attracted to that because they want to be invested in. Absolutely. They want to be, they, 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 sit, they want to be trained. They want to be invested in. They want to be encouraged. They want to be recognized in front of their peers. And they want to be acknowledged when they do a good job. And if your big pushes aren't allowing for all those things to happen, all you're doing is you're just extracting from people. And over time, there's nothing left to extract. Mm -hmm. And they leave. They leave the organization. They stop donating. They start ghosting you and you're asking for (laughs) volunteerism. Um, And so maybe you're having a lot of that happen right now. That should be a really, really big red flag for you saying, I need to change the way that I'm doing this. Because, man, that was really smart what I just said. I'm going to say it again. People want to be trained. People want to be invested in. They want to be encouraged. They want to be recognized in front of their peers. And they want to be acknowledged when they've done a good job. Mm -hmm. And if your next big push that you're doing doesn't allow you to do all of those things for people, you are actually hurting yourself with your next big push Mm -hmm. rather than helping your organization. And that means doing all those things in the process of putting before the event is happening in the prep, um, doing it during the event itself and doing it after the event. If you Mm -hmm. are so worn out after your event that you can't call people and celebrate what has happened. Um, you need to relook at your leadership structure, make sure that you have the right people on board and that you're allowing them to lead and training them up so that you have the capacity to be able to do what you need to be what you need to be focusing on, on as a leader. And that Absolutely. is building those relationships more than anything else. We sometimes get so focused on those tasks that have to be accomplished that we forget that it's all about the relationships that we're building with the people that we're trying to help and that are partnering with us in the helping the cause. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so what is your next big goal? And what is the event or the push that you're doing to get there? Why don't you think about that for just a second? Okay, now I want you to think about the fact that that goal needs to not be the end, but that goal needs to be a means to an end. That Mm -hmm. goal is basically an excuse for you to train, encourage, invest in, and acknowledge and recognize people mm-hmm. that's that's the actual end your goal is a means to an end to get there because that's actually growing your organization yeah um i'm going to share this i was talking years ago to a nonprofit leader down in florida who was just phenomenal i called her with a question i think she spent like an hour and a half on the phone with me and i just have pages of notes like i still have those notes i have them saved because i will never ever ever lose those notes um but i kind of asked what her events looked like because they put on some big events every year and her attitude toward it was so interesting because they do a big event after the event they kind of gather all their leaders together and talk through what went well what didn't work well you know like everything that they could change for next time and then she talks to the current leaders and says who did you identify as the next leaders and she has it so that no person can be a leader at two events in a row hmm. they're not allowed to that's smart. They, they're welcome to come and volunteer. They're welcome to be come and be a part of it, but they're not allowed to wear a leader T-shirt. They're not allowed to know all the details of what's going on because she doesn't want to put people in a position where they feel like they always have to lead. And when I heard that, I was so impressed with her 
as a leader that she was willing to spend more time training people and raising up leaders than just taking the easy route of going with the people who have done it before, even if they're doing the same type of event back to back. Wow. Yeah, they could do two of the same types of events and she would still not allow a leader who is already fully trained in that type of event to lead the next one. And that just shows that she's thinking through what is the purpose of this event? Mm-hmm. The purpose of this event is not to raise money. The purpose of this event is not to go and rebuild or fix somebody's house. The purpose of this event is not to collect a bunch of food items for donations. The purpose of the event is to develop people into being world changers. Mm-hmm. And through that, we might not get all the credit for something that somebody else might have gone on to do. But inevitably, we're actually creating a real legacy by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what we want you to be thinking about this week. You want to repeat your questions again? Because I think they're important that people think through them. Okay. So think about your next goal or your next big event or push that you're trying to work toward. Maybe uh, you're a church and you're wanting to see attendance go up. Maybe you are uh, an organization that's bringing in donations for food and you want to just see those go up. Or maybe you're trying to raise funds or bring on a bunch of new volunteers or train a bunch of people. What's the next thing that you're pushing for? Now I want you to think about how are you doing that in a way that you can train people? How are you doing that in a way that you can invest in people? How are you doing that in a way that encourages and recognizes people in front of their peers and also acknowledges them for what they've done? If your event or your growth goal that you're going for is doing those five things and the real purpose of it is to do those five things, then you're set on the track. So on the right track. So that's our thought for you this week. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 